welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Kendra Bloom. She's a licensed mental health counselor, PACT-trained couples therapist, somatic psychotherapist, and certified intuitive energy healer. Through groups, workshops, and individuals or couples sessions, Kendra has supported hundreds of people with a process of radical transformation. Welcome. Thanks, Tom. Um, Kendra's a good friend of mine. We go back many, many years, and she and I worked together in Seattle for maybe five years or so, Kendra. And so she's a somatic um, psychotherapist. I'm gonna let her tell you about the rest of her training, but she brings a very broad, deep depth of experience into this whole process. In the last few years we worked together, she started to get focused more and more on how to get things done, how to make people feel safe and how to get people to move forward. And I mentioned on the podcast I just had with her, her capacity to have people, allow people to heal themselves was unbelievable. In other words, it's not Kendra, it's not me. Each person heals themselves, but Kendra had a very unique skill capacity to help allow people that pathway into their own healing. So we talked, we discussed her approach on the first episode. This time we're going to go more into the part of healing where we actually regain your perspective, curiosity, gratitude, um, eroticism is one of the words that she uses. And when you're in chronic pain, you sort of lose your sense of humor. Life isn't good. <laughs> So can you just give me a little bit more background about your um, training? Yeah, so I have a master's in sexuality studies and counseling studies as well. Um, I am licensed as a mental health counselor in the state of Washington. Um, And I've done a lot of different trainings through energetic psychology, from psychophysical therapy, um, and also in the spiritual and sort of shamanic arts. So I'd like to touch on this podcast and really focus on this one aspect of healing is that um, most of you have heard me talk repetitively about the whole, there's just two parts to healing. One is learn how to efficiently and effectively process anger and anxiety, which are reactive survival circuits and we have no say over. We have zero say of often automatic triggered reaction, but we do have a say in how we show up. So we learn to develop a working relationship with these really powerful patterns. Then the real healing occurs as we move into our brain includes play, gratitude, spiritual journey, perspective, that's where the healing really occurs. If you're using that part of the journey, the healing, the play part of it, for instance, to compensate for the anxiety and anger, that never works. So Ken and I have been on the same page where we've actually sort of trained each other to put it mildly back and forth. And so what she's found ways allow people to feel safe and help deal with the anxiety and anger part of it. But the part I'm really intrigued by is moving into the part of the brain that's just a lot more dimensional, lots of actions to it, and moving into what I call the spiritual perspective, which can be framed in any way that you like. But I'm just curious, curious. um, So I actually actually don't know this part of your practice very well. Yeah. Thanks, David. And I'm excited to talk about it because it's new. It's just kind of developed really over the last year. And for me, it brings together all of these aspects that you're talking about. And when I talk about the erotic, we're really looking at this intimacy with self, intimacy with our senses and our the way we relate to the world and intimacy with others. And when I say intimacy, we're, we're thinking about a closeness, an aliveness, 
a, a willingness to be vulnerable, to take risks to play, right? Um, and, and the reason that I think this is so interesting and important is because it falls right at the intersection of our survival strategies because when we're acting out of fear our body closes right you can kind of think of like a sea anemone right. it's open it's feeling the ocean a big fish comes by and it closes right up right and our bodies are the same and tension usually includes disconnection right so tension and disconnection kind of go together physiologically right neurobiologically right we kind of cut off the conversation there with right. that part of our body and so because so many of us have fear-based strategies or experiences that haven't been processed that are just kind of running these unconscious compulsive patterns we're blocking our own energy right we have right. all this tension and we're blocking the experience of ourself um, and so to me, really getting at this juice of eroticism and trying to see how can we wake this back up in our daily life does two things. One, it brings awareness to our blocks, our patterns, and the ways in which we're not doing that, right? What gets in the way. But it also gives us access to that other pathway, right? So like we don't have to stay stuck in the pain pathway. We can come into sort of the spiritual pathway or the higher self pathway or the whatever you want to call it, right? The pleasure pathway um if we have somewhere else to go but many of us don't really know nowhere else to go so, so i want to actually take a deep breath for a second so you go what does surgeon talking about you know eroticism and sexuality and pleasure and gratitude that's all psychological mumbo jumbo this is all about the body's physiology so when you love self-care gratitude is oxytocin is dopamine serotonin growth hormone anti-inflammatory cytokines, um, your metabolism drops down, has a profound effect on your body's physiology. And one thing we did learn in medical school is very serious. We know more about physiology than you can imagine, but somehow in medicine, we jump to structure instead of the physiology. And so what Ken is talking about is that you want to feel ways to feel safe. Every living creature under sustained stress doesn't thrive. So they have all sorts of animal experiments, which I think are sort of disturbing, where they put these animals under, you know, chronic stress, where there's whatever. They just, the experiments aren't pretty, but they get sick. Humans have a problem is that our mental pain is processed the same way because we can't escape it. So we're like that animal is put on in these experiments that they can't escape, restrained experiments, but we can't escape our thoughts. We can't escape our consciousness. It has the same effect on your body's physiology as a physical threat. So what happens, again, we talk about how to plug the drain, how to you know, process anxiety and anger. And the part that's so tricky, I'll just talk about my own experience for a second, is that I didn't have much play in my life. I never was held by my mother, never nurtured it, didn't know any of that, just never felt safe. But there's my baseline, I just thought it was normal. And so I spent one reason, one of the reasons I became so successful is just trying to simply outrun my past. I was just on this endless treadmill. So I didn't know what it was like to feel safe, but I actually wasn't aware that I wasn't, in other words, I wasn't aware that I actually felt unsafe is why I was running so fast. So that's the question I'm to start with. I really, so if you've been in this state of mind your whole life, it's your baseline, it's your normal, why do I need help? I'm fine, even though I have 10 different symptoms. How do you get people to understand that there's something different or possible? In other words, you have to do some work first before you go into the area that you just talked about, or 
how do you get people to open up and realize that there's something different than what they already know? Yeah, I think really by bypassing the brain and like just going straight to the body actually and giving people a different experience of themselves and their world. I mean, even if, if someone comes in and you say, take five breaths and see how you feel, there's, there's gonna be a shift. Um, and I, I think the buy-in, I mean, I've actually noticed some of my um, more skeptical uh, people who have gotten maybe dragged into my eroticism groups by a partner or something. We do some free dance movement for a couple minutes, often in the beginning of class, just move your body. And they come back lit up, like they have this shining through their eyes, their whole body is more fluid, they're excited, they're like on the screen. And and it, it um, impacts me every time I see it because it's like, oh, you just needed the invitation to experience your moment a little differently. Right. Right. Yep. So interesting. So you do this in group classes is what you do? Yeah. I mean, we work with it in individual sessions, but I love the groups for this actually, because there's this sort of resonant field where everyone's um, supporting each other's growth and that becomes erotic right and if we think about more energy moving um, as the erotic right there's just more energy moving and and you can sort of entrain one another into a, a more alive state and we see so I like that word more alive because I mean people look at the word erotic as sort of somewhat just a sexual aspect of it. it's really more of a much bigger dimension than that yeah. It's like curiosity, gratitude, awareness, um, you know, lots of different things come into play with that word. And you say more alive is really the key issue. And when you're trying to survive only just in a survival mode, it's hard, actually hard to feel more alive. So when, okay, so you see it's different. Um, what's different about the whole idea of the, um, the erotic work? Um, for me, it's essentially about the flow of life energy, right? You can think about it as chi, but you can also think about it as blood and fluid flow through the body. Like as we start to have chronic tension patterns, our muscles have adhesions, right? And those places are often described by body workers as hard and dry. Right. And so actually the absence of of, of fluid, of juice, of life, right? And, in, and that can happen psychologically, areas that are hard and dry and we become rigid and super set in our ways. It can become emotional, right? Where we cut off or um, limit the emotional expression, right? And so all these places of rigidity, physical, emotional, psychological, the erotic for me is really a doorway to soften, to open, to be curious, to explore and to play with those those places and see if we can bring a little fluid back in, right? I mean, you right. even just this metaphor of getting wet, like we're not talking about it in a sexual way, but we're talking about it in a get juiced about life. Like, can you be excited about whatever you're experiencing? Um, right. Is that, can, can we help make that accessible, right? So let's talk about the word love for a second. You know, we know there's the love thing with a positive transference, which is actually not love, it's just a transference. There's also the love that, you know, I talk about is as far as awareness. I mean, you know, the book, Anthony DeMello's book, The Way to Love is really the way to awareness. So it sounds like the middle of the word eroticism is, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this one here, but generally the way consciousness works is if I see a person walking down the street, a certain pattern, I sort of label them as this or label them as this, we're always projecting our consciousness under other people in other situations. 
I mean, that's how human consciousness works. And then it gets embedded in our system because we give meaning to everything. And that gets really concrete and embedded. And what you're doing is with awareness is, so life becomes tedious. If you're always projecting your view on the world all the time, over and over and over again, it's pretty boring. So what's interesting to me with awareness, and I, I like the way you're coming at this, I mean, it becomes infinitely interesting. I mean, what's not possible with awareness? New ideas, every second something's coming along, you look at things in different ways. So to me, awareness is the antithesis of rigidity, of course, but people, it's not just being aware, it's just being aware at every level you can imagine. And so it's just incredibly more interesting life, living life in awareness. And again, Anthony Mel calls the word, so he wrote a book called The Way to Love, and to him, love just equaled awareness. Yes. And I think um, one of the other things I hear in what you're saying is an invitation into receptivity. It's like awareness is we're taking in our world. We're, we're right. being in our senses and we're willing to take in what's around us rather than like being in the projector of our mind. Right. And as we take in, right, receptivity is essential to any kind of pleasure. It's like you could be giving someone a massage and if they're not receiving the pleasure, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, doesn't land. It doesn't do anything for the system. Right. And so I think awareness is a cousin of receptivity, which, which for me is really the essential piece, both in having a sensual life, right. But being able to also be in conversation with what's around you so that you can get turned on, um, right. whether it's like, I'm jazzed about my work or I'm jazzed about my family, but, or I'm like really engaging in pleasurable interactions with my partner um, right. on all the levels. It's like, how do we take it in? So I'd like to bring up one point that we've talked about in the past. It's a little off topic here, but I think really critical right now Came about sharing and draw experiences with curiosity with your friends and family. And we know when people are in chronic mental or physical pain, that they tend to complain, gossip, discuss medical care, talk about the medical care, seek doctors endlessly. So about, I'm, I'm just guessing for many people, probably 60 to 70% of their conscious time is spent on their pain. And so one of the rules that we've had for a long time is that in, well, first of all, the rule is particularly in my office, you can talk about your pain for a second, but the cardinal rule is never discuss your pain with anybody, especially your family, except for medical care providers ever. Don't complain, don't no malicious gossip, no giving unasked for advice, no criticism. None of that, because that's all the opposite of what you're talking about. And it turned out to be one of the most powerful aspects of the whole process. I'm just curious, you know, you and I sort of learned this together a bit, because I'm really curious um, that aspect of your process, because what you're doing is the other side of the coin of actually growing into this beautiful world as opposed to getting stuck in the old world. But if you're complaining and gossiping, it's not a good place for your brain to be. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. And I think having played with this in a number of different iterations because of holding so many groups with folks who are in pain, what I've come to feel is that anytime we split off from ourselves or make a thing inherently wrong or bad, it creates more tension for us. And so I think the, the road that I have tended towards is to invite people to speak about their pain if it can be a present moment with aliveness and vulnerability. So like encouraging them to be aware, is your system open? Is there new fresh energy running around? What? Because are you telling me about the deep pain of having lived with this? That I will receive, right? Because that is healing. I think it, it causes your system to open and, and feel, you know, 
healed, to be witnessed in a painful place. Right. If you're just telling old stories that are that are sort of dead and they're just reinforcing those old pain pathways, then how is that making your body feel? Oh, closed, hard, dead, heavy, anxious. Okay, let's see what choice you want to make. Right. So, so in my, in my groups, the, the invitation I have is let's not tell old pain stories. Um, if we want to talk about pain, it's going to be in the present moment. How is this affecting me right here, right now? Right. And how can I share about it from the most vulnerable place? Right. Um, There's also another word you mentioned multiple times about um, vulnerability is that, you know, we're part of the animal kingdom. Humans are. And in the wild, there's no rewards for being vulnerable. None. So same thing with us, both men, humans have a problem with emotional vulnerability and physical vulnerability. And again, there's no rewards for being vulnerable. Yet being vulnerable is the essence of human relationships. It's sort of a horrible paradox. Well, it's interesting because like, you know, my puppy, she has to interact a lot with a dog who attacked her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's totally forgiven this dog. It's like, she doesn't even remember, even though I still see the scars and I'm still mad at this dog and it still scares me. She couldn't, she could just, they're friends now. Right. And, and I think one of the things about animals is they kind of live in the present. So vulnerability, I don't know if it's such an issue because the reason vulnerability is scary for us is because we're remembering when we were hurt. Right. Right. right? And most of us have been hurt mostly by humans. Mm-hmm. So then being with other humans feels scary. And so I think vulnerability is a way of us saying, I want to be open. I want to share. I want to be seen. And I remember when you hurt me and, and that tension. But you also have to, but to be vulnerable, you also have to take the risk of being rejected. Yes, but the only reason you're worried about that is because you've been rejected. Right. But that's still, okay, <laughs> I'm listening. Right? Well, because for me, it's really like in this moment, right? Two things. One, is there any indication that this person's going to reject me, right? And if so, I may make a choice about what I share, but the vulnerability that I have within myself never has to go away. If I'm not- That I will heartily agree with. So so I have to always be vulnerable myself and I'm an adult now. And so if I am rejected, I'm going to be okay. I'm still, work, I'm still working on becoming an adult. I got to work, okay. work on that. Uh, well. <laughs> so you, you just right. you do. Okay, that's good. Right, but we but we can we can survive rejection in a way that we couldn't when we were really small. We didn't right. have capacity. So to be scared of it sort of continues to operate like we're really young and and don't have the resources that we do now. Right. Right. So no, I agree. I mean the that's what makes life interesting of course is being vulnerable and, and being vulnerable by definition there's some risk that you may re- be rejected and no i 100 agree that learning how to be vulnerable is a learned skill and then you also learn that when you are rejected it's actually not your issue it's actually the other person's that's issue right that's right and i love esther perel um has a sentiment that once people start taking risks that's how you can tell they've started to heal their trauma or that trauma is healed. And I think that's really insightful because it's like, oh, I start to live in the reality of now rather than the reality of then, right? My confusion has, has gone down. My nervous system's confusion. So Kendra, um, again, she's really done a great job. Many people, um, the group setting is actually a huge home run in, in many different arenas in the anxiety pain world in that there's a drug called, a hormone called oxytocin that gets excreted in social circles, 
you know, what I didn't know until a couple of years ago, oxytocin is powerfully anti-inflammatory. So it's not only a socially bonding drug, it's actually very, very powerfully um, anti-inflammatory. It's also a calming neurotransmitter. So, this, so the group setting is very, very powerful. And again, I'm assuming you practice vulnerability within the group, again, carefully. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's our, we make a pledge to be a safe and brave space. I'm sorry to say that. Again? A safe and brave space, right? So everyone's going to be kind and everyone's right. going to take risks. Right. So Kendra, um, let us know um, her, she lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, you do a lot of work on the internet now. Mm -hmm. And so um, how do we access your services? Um, the best way to get in touch with me is either by going to my website, kendra-bloom.com, K-E-N-D-R-A-B-L-O-O-M, or you can email me at kendrabloomtherapy at gmail.com. Okay. Um, I'm happy to help you get connected and, and see what's good for you. Okay. So um, I just have to tell you that um, anybody can, the, the body has a, the mind and the body are just simply a unit. They're not really in differentiation there at all, but each human being has a complete capacity to heal. And um, Kendra has developed a nice set of skills to actually help people find that pathway for themselves and anything is possible. So, right. Oh Any yeah. Any final yeah. thoughts, Kendra? Oh, just gratitude, I think, to continue to be part of this conversation. And, and, you know, for me, the longer I do this work, the more it evolves itself and I can see it, all the connections. So I think to be um, getting to talk about the energy and the eroticism right alongside the neurobiology and the physiology and, and our growing understanding of how those things are actually quite the same. Um, it's exciting. I think we're at a, an exciting place in, in healing work as a, as a species right now. No, I agree. Well, Kendra, thank you very much. Thank nice you. to see you. Thanks. Great to always be with you. And thank you. I'd like to thank our guest, Kendra Bloom, for being on the show today and for explaining the importance of connection and learning to be intimate with self and others as a way to open up energy and flow and create a doorway to play in healing. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.